This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome in to the Lions 24-7 podcast. Tyler Donahue, Sean Fitz back with you. Uh, hope everyone enjoyed a great Memorial Day weekend. Now we're moving toward another weekend. We have our one show of the week, as we mentioned uh, last Friday. Uh, this was going to be a one-episode week. We'll get back to the two-episode per week format next time around. But uh, we've got a lot to get to in this episode, much of it involving recruiting, not necessarily of the same variety that we've been used to speaking about the 2021 recruiting class. No additions this time, but some players coming off the board that Penn State has had their eye on and that we've discussed here on the show during recent weeks and months. And Sean, it was about two months of of major recruiting momentum, a six-week span where 10 commits came on board. We had a lot of good news to share and react to here on the show, but I don't know if it qualifies as a lull, but if you read our message board, frustration beginning to mount about this recruiting class uh, and who is not coming uh, into the class and and we'll get, we'll start this conversation at tight end we'll work our way over to wide receiver uh, but Malika Matavao going to going to Oregon Jack Pugh going to Wisconsin and there you have it yeah with Matavao it's uh, I'm not gonna be able to mispronounce his name for four years so that's uh, I guess there's a silver lining uh, Jack Pugh I mean that's another unfortunate circumstance for for both of those guys I mean you, you just I, I I don't know how to to, to put it because everybody's unhappy right now. I mean, you look at our message boards and, and people are wondering what's wrong with recruiting and everything's going wrong. And it's not, I mean, this is just one of those cycles that's, that's going and it happens. And as would you say 10 or 10 commits in a two month span or a six week span? Six weeks. Yeah. That's a pretty good run. And now all of a sudden, you know, because of those good runs, you're going to have dry spells. This is a dry spell. This is, you know, this is one where you thought you had a shot. And if you're Penn State, and unfortunately, the circumstances dictated this one and the fact that um, Matavayo went to Oregon in March right before the, the, the shutdown and Jack Pugh went to Wisconsin in March before the shutdown and neither have been to Penn State. Now, Jack Pugh, uh, after we recorded on Friday, the news uh, came out from Steve Wiltfong on 24-7 Sports that Jack Jack Pugh was heading to Happy Valley, going to check things out. I mean, there's really not a ton you can get from that. I mean, check out the town, check out the campus layout, check out some some things like that. Of course, they were on the phone with with the Penn State staff uh, during parts of that visit, but really there's not, not a ton you can do. I mean, you, if you compare even an unofficial visit uh, to Wisconsin uh, where he can go and meet the staff and do all the things and be with people that are around the program, play, future players, players, coaches, anything like that, Compare that to going to a, a ghost town in State College. I mean, there's there's really no comp, uh, no competition there. So um, I, I think it was a situation, and I've talked to some people. They knew that Penn State was heavily involved with Matavayo, and they wanted to get in and see. You know, I think Wisconsin was his top choice, and he wanted them, or his parents wanted him 
to actually see Penn State before they made a decision. And, you know, really the way that things have gone with the dead period, which is, by the way, has been extended through July, as as we expected, uh, you, you know, you, you wanted to get out there. And just in case you fell in love with the place, just in case you saw something strong with the place, then, you know, get your place in line in front of, um, of Maliki. Unfortunately for Penn State, 0 for 2, uh, two guys that didn't visit. And that, that leaves them kind of with a hole at tight end. I mean, let's be honest, they took two tight ends last year. They're, they're in a good spot on that roster right now. You'd like to take one every year, or at least one every year. Just really hasn't come to uh, come to play here. Brock Bauer is really the only one that's visited from outside the region. Khalil Dinkins remains on the board from, from North Allegheny um, as, as a potential tight end in this class. But yeah, it's uh, of all the positions, now granted, the, the the position really not high in the priority list. I think when I did the, pri- uh, the position priorities, that was 10th. So not really a high priority uh, target uh, on the target board, but still of all the positions, I think that one probably impacted uh, the shutdown probably impacted it the most. Uh, you had guys from out of the region, the two that just committed to, to other schools, Elijah Arroyo was going to visit in April. Uh, Pew and Matavayo were going to visit in, in the last week of March. So really it just uh, kind of took your board and, and shrunk it. And they did a good job staying in it. But in, in the end, the results are what matters. And, and they're sitting with zero tight ends still in that class. And when we do an autopsy of a recruitment that doesn't result in a commitment right now that Penn State's involved in, it's not the same old bullet points. It is very much you lead in with never got to campus because of COVID or got to drive around what Jack Pugh called a ghost town. And you referred to that. Uh, that's what that's what he re- <laughs> described what he saw as a ghost town on Friday. And if you've driven around State College of late, maybe that changes here as we're recording the the county and center county is shifting into that green zone with with, with some uh, things being lifted. And uh, be fascinated to see how how that impacts what the community looks like on a day to day basis. But yeah, it's you know it's not going to uh, get that campus vibe when you're just driving around with your parents and. I don't know how much they were getting in and out of their car, the Pew family, but uh, they weren't going to be interacting with students and, and certainly weren't going to be getting a, you know, a personal, intimate tour of, of football facilities and, and what life is like really as a student athlete. You, know, you do the best you can with the resources you have right now. And you know, clearly Penn State fans are, are, who are upset about this are very going to be very quick to point out uh, you know, the tight end track record should be enough to build upon right now um, if, if Kids want to go to a school that is really highlighting the uh, the, the tight end position and, and spotlighting that in the passing game. That's great. I still wonder. This is kind of like works both ways against Penn State right now. Uh, when you talk to quarterbacks and they got their guy in Christian Veyu, but a lot of the things we talked about was you're trying to sell an offense that we haven't seen on the field yet. You can't show anybody spring practice cut-ups of what this Penn State t- attack's going to look like. So, you know, you could potentially see that being held against you. Uh, the way the quarterback position was used the last couple of years, the lack of pass production, whether it's a wide receiver or a quarterback looking at that situation, they could have questions because they just don't know what Kirk Soraka's, uh, you know, format is going to, to, to how it's going to be laid out across the field this, this fall and what you had hoped would be in the spring and the summer. And I think you can kind of throw in now other teams can say, look what Kirk Soraka did with tight end. You know, if there, if there is a motivation to maybe steer a player away, uh, from Penn State, you can say, well, that they did that. They did that with uh, the 
other guys. They did that with Pat Fryermuth. They did that with Mike Kosicki. Uh, and, and, and those players were working under Ricky Ronnie, who previously worked under Joe Moorhead, and neither of them are there anymore. So are, are you sure the tight end's going to get showcased to the point it has been? It, it, it's, it's a tough situation. It's a combination where you can't get kids in a personal setting. They got Christian Veyu. That proved to be huge for for, uh, for Soraka to, to be able to sit down, watch the Minnesota film, really go over what they were going to bring into the Penn State attack, some different wrinkles that he was going to add to the plan he already had last year in Minneapolis. But can't do that right now with players. I, I'm sure that Kirk is trying to and the staff is trying to remotely. But the combination of that and and then you know not having players on campus at all, uh, it, it's tough for any program. And and you know you could find probably a lot of excuses for a lot of teams right now. Uh, but Penn State with 12 commits on board, uh, I just think it's a tall order to to expect to to go uphill in in these circumstances and come away with a commitment without having those couple things at your disposal an offense to show off um you know an actual tangible offense that you can that you can really say this is what it's going to look like and then additionally uh to say hey this is a great campus let's show you the inside and outs of it you can't do either of those things really right now and that's just a, a pretty pretty lethal uh combination when, when you look at the finish line and how these commitment how these recruitments worked out and getting people to understand what negative recruiting is, is, is really a, a, a fascinating endeavor because what you just described is negative recruiting in a sense that the good negative recruiters, which everybody does it. I mean, everybody, every staff in the country negatively recruits, but it's not, Hey, this place sucks. You shouldn't go there. You know, this place is, you know, you're going to ruin your life by going here. It's, Taking a fact like Kirk Shiraka has not thrown to his tight ends, which he did not do at Minnesota. Taking that fact, you know, positioning it in your favor and turning it around to use it as a recruiting tool for your own school. And that's that's what a good negative recruiter does. And negative recruiting, you know, it's got that bad non- uh, connotation, but negative recruiting is is necessary for these guys to uh, to put out their own pitch. So um, everybody does it. Penn State does it. Everybody does it. Um, but it, it's good negative recruiting in the sense that you need to take a fact and you need to skew that to fit what you're saying. And you need to do that in sort of uh, in, in a way that, uh, you know, pervades your program over the other program in a sense that both programs are classy places. Both programs are good programs. Here's how we're going to make it better than this other program. So it's not it's not really, hey, this this place sucks. You know, don't go there. It's more of, uh, you know, making it fit your agenda and, and working it out and making it sound good. And that's that's really what's, uh, you know, that, that that's what they have to work with with this one with the. Uh, with Shiraka not throwing the tight end, it doesn't really matter what, uh, excuse me, it doesn't really matter what Mike Kosicki did and Pat Frymuth did. You can say, hey, this is a new guy. You don't know how it's going to work out. And, and really that's how they hear it. And, and when you consolidate all this, uh, this recruitment into the course of a couple of months, which is really what we've done with, uh, with the process right now, that's really how, how coaches have started to handle it. And those things weigh heavier on a decision than you might think. And we talked a lot about the the cancellation of all these camps and and what if you didn't have them last year? Does a guy like Tyler Elsden or Fatoma Moba end up really getting that Nittany Lions offer, which they earned on the practice fields at Penn State last summer, ended up signing with the class and rolling early? Do those players join the class? Additionally, I think it's fair to wonder these long-distance official visits, the exact kind that Maliki Matavao would have made, do you end up with your running backs, Kevon Lee, Keziah Holmes, if they don't have the ability to get up here during that early official visit window, lock it in before their senior seasons, and then get to December and sign with the program? 
just one of those questions right now where, you know, there is just no parallel for what we're seeing and experience on a day-to-day basis with this 2021 recruiting cycle that we can actually accurately measure up against a past sample size. Yeah, it's um, it, it, it's once in a lifetime. I hope it's once in a lifetime. Oh, I hope. Uh, yeah, because it's been uh, it's been brutal. And and honestly, I got this asked this in my questions. Why is all this stuff going wrong with Penn State? And like I said, not everything is wrong with Penn State right now. It's it's part of the cycle. It's part of what's going on. Everything's wrong at a lot of places right now. You've got a lot of criticism because it is an unprecedented situation. You've got a lot of criticism of, of staffs, a lot of criticism of how they've handled things. I mean, one of the big questions on our board right now is, does Penn State regret not hosting uh, any players in that little window uh, in early March where they, you know, they the, the dead period opened up and you could get guys in on March 1st and then Penn State went to spring break on March 7th and then they would come back the 14th and then the 21st and the 28th, they would have had big recruiting weekends. So, I mean, that's all hindsight driven right now. It's crazy to think that. And then Jack Pugh's uh, comments are a great reason uh, to think why they wouldn't have had recruits on campus on that weekend of the 7th. It's a ghost town. You don't want to have, you don't want kids visiting Penn State when there's no students on campus, when there's no any sort of uh, campus life activity going on whatsoever. So, I mean, it's uh, they're a victim of bad timing. Sure. I mean, you could have got, snuck a couple of guys in besides Brock Bowers in that first week, but Really, that's just uh, there's a ton of hindsight at play in there, and I think that's going on everywhere right now. Just uh, looking, perusing other message boards on the twenty four seven Sports Network, it's been uh, it's been pretty brutal. I mean, even even places that are recruiting well, even Ohio State fans have gripes right now. So it's uh, there's a lot of nothing to do right now for everyone. Uh, that that has manifested itself in in complaining on internet message boards. So, but that's why we're here. That's why we love you guys. <laughs> yes, we're here, and, and we, we do have some five-star mailbag stuff to get to later, so the, we have been getting the feedback there for the conversation. Really appreciate that. Um, I wanted to go back to a Bud Elliott uh, tweet from yesterday as we're mentioning how things are, are evolving and, and some teams are upset and fan bases are upset. The commi- Something's got to give here. We've talked about it so much. The commitment totals right now. Through May 28th, uh, in the 2020 cycle, there were 381 commitments. Um, I, I'm thinking this is uh, FBS level, Sean. Is this or is this Power Five level? I think it's Power Five. Okay, that's not okay. 381, let's say, uh, at Power Five in the 2020 class as of May 28th. Now in the 2021 class, they're closing in on 900 total commitments. That is just a tremendous, tremendous gap between those two numbers. And again, uh, there's teams out there right now, and you might like the volume of commitments that you have, but there's going to be a lot of questions coming away with uh, from from this whole situation as, as players continue to come off the board. And I think I got that completely backwards. I don't think it's Power Five, but uh, yeah, that, okay. that gap keeps growing every single day. It's uh, crazy to think about. Uh, I mean, it's and it's growing on holidays too. Memorial Day commitments, you got Mother's Day commitments, birthday commitments, all that kind of stuff, and. And it's interesting because following Bud, Bud is a straight shooter. We've had him on the podcast before. He's a fantastic addition to the 24-7 Sports Network. And, you know, he's flat out said, I mean, there's there are schools that are taking guys that they wouldn't have taken without seeing them in camp, without getting a workout, without getting some verified numbers on them. And that's something we've talked about endlessly. And really, schools are loading up on them and, and they're going to end up dumping some people. I mean, it's it's going to happen. It's, it's an unfortunate side of the business. I think more schools are willing to take the guys right now to uh, sort of... Uh, 
I, I don't want to call them place call them placeholders, but it, it works both ways between the school and the kid. But man, it's uh, it's going to be an interesting situation uh, because there are going to be guys at the end that are just kind of left out because you know you got you got schools going on really good runs right now. Um, you got schools that are you know taking whatever right now, and it's and you've got mixes of both, and it's it's been really interesting to follow, and I think it's just gonna. I don't know that it's going to completely blow up, but you, you've got situations where these guys are going to commit and, and want to take visits and want to see other schools and co- coaches are going to have to let them. And that's going to be, uh, it's going to make for some friction down the line. Absolutely. Will and uh, we'll, we'll be covering it along the way, I guess, getting back to what started this conversation and the two tight ends coming off the board and what we just talked about with uh, down the line, Matavao, Pew. Where is the possibility of circling back with either of these players, maybe coordinating an official visit? Uh, Matavao specifically seems to stand out for me because would really, you think, need to be an official visit. Pew, more within striking distance. Yeah, I, I mean, I look at these two and you look at the schools that they're committed to. And really not a ton of reasons to jump off board there. I mean, Oregon, I think, is going to have a successful season. Uh, Joe Moorhead, you know, we've seen him use the tight end. So he's got the allure there. It's closer to home. Jack Pugh, uh, Wisconsin, is is usually pretty good outside of that down season a couple of years ago. So, I mean, these kids that are going to look around are probably going to have reasons to do so. Um, is, you know, maybe not living up to expectations, maybe just uh, not what you thought it would be, not not what the offense, you know, you mentioned not seeing the offense for Penn State on one hand. On the other hand, you could see, you know, you, you could Eventually, you could commit to a school and eventually see that offense and be like, that's not what you said it's going to be, man. So um, so I don't see Wisconsin and Oregon, these guys, given where they're from, given the the um, the times that they've been there, I don't see those guys circling back around. I, I think you can pick and choose across the target board um, at different positions, which guys you think might be able to look around. Um, but I just have a hard time seeing those guys. And like I said, I think Pew's first choice was Wisconsin. He wanted to check it, you know, sort of check it up and double check against Penn State there at the very end. So I'll, I'll go with Matavayo here. I'll, I'll agree with you. Um, it's such a great relationship with the staff, uh, the whole staff, Tyler Bowen and James Franklin um, were in on this one for a while. Um, for Penn State to be where they were at, uh, which is essentially the number two school in that recruitment without him getting to campus, I think it says a lot about his actual interest level. Um, but I'll, I'll go with him as the more likely of the two. You mentioned Bowers, uh, top five tight end prospect out of Napa, California, guy who did get to campus before the shutdown. Georgia is the crystal ball leader for him, uh, really asserting themselves in that role of late. And then additionally, Dinkins, uh, a Pitt legacy, Pitt involved there. And then the other names are, you know, again, guys who, you know, there's been communication. They sounded happy when the offer came through. A guy like Lake McCree down in Texas, a former Longhorns commit. You know, I think they're in his top five or six at this point. But again, the elephant in the room, no visits to campus, and that's going to be continued to kind of be the, the bullet point that you got to put at the top of a lot of these rundowns with recruiting targets. Especially with the big guys at that position, like uh, Thomas Fedone out in Iowa, Michael Trigg in Florida, um, both have expressed interest, both have Penn State on their list. But at the end of the day, if you can't get those guys on for officials, you, you really don't have much of a shot. 
Moving on to the wide receiver position where Penn State still has work to do in the 2021 recruiting cycle. That process doesn't seem to get any easier with the announcement uh, from Dante Thornton, former Nittany Lions commit. The first pledge of the 2021 class back in February 2019 spent six months before decommitting last summer. Uh, Top six does not include Penn State, Sean. This is one that we've been talking for a while. You know, keep keep your finger on the pulse of this recruitment. It's going to go into the first week of January with an All-American Bowl commitment, but expect Penn State to be ahead on the table. Consider me quite surprised when that list comes out and we don't see the Penn State logo on, involved at all. I'm, I'm rarely taken aback by a top list. I mean, these things are pretty predictable. But uh, when that one came out the other day, I think I just got done mowing and Steve Wilfong called me. He's like, man, I can't believe you left him off his list. And I I had to do a double take. I had to check it out for myself because I, I could not believe that. So, yeah, we got got this one wrong. I mean, this is one that, uh, you know, they've they've been still been in contact with him. They've, you know, I, I wouldn't consider it, uh, you know, the the leader. I mean, we've been saying for a long time, Oregon's probably that that dream school leader, but still it was going to go all the way to January. And you thought Penn State could could circle back around as a surprise. I mean, no no silver lining to this one for for that to to be left off of that list too. I mean, you've got schools um, where he's visited Oregon, I think uh, visited Virginia as well, which Virginia on that list, I mean, okay. Um, Florida State, Notre Dame, uh, USC and Arizona State, the other ones. we, We knew Arizona State was involved, but really interesting list from the sense that he hasn't been to these schools He's been to Penn State a bunch. He's been to Tennessee a couple times. He's been to West Virginia where Jared Parker is, and they're not on the list either. Just a weird, weird list. And and I'm not, I wouldn't say it's a bad list or anything like that, but it's just a, a weird list when you consider the times, when you consider the ability to visit these other schools. And, you know, it, I, I don't have a reason for it. It's, it's really fascinating. It's really uh, confounding to, to, to see this list and not have Penn State on it. It's, I'm, I'm very surprised. Half of them in the Pac-12 and a top six list. Who saw that coming? But you know, Oregon—they have been the team that he has pointed to time and time again. Like uh, I think he put on Twitter the other day, that's that is his dream school. Um, so he, he certainly has not been shy about sending that message. But you know, recently wasn't shy about the fact that Penn State, uh, the familiarity is just at a different level. And I guess you know maybe that familiarity ultimately encouraged him to look elsewhere and maybe he saw enough from Penn State maybe he needs a break from Penn State I don't know but uh, he by his count he said he got to, to Penn State at least 10 times over the course of his recruitment including those trips as a commit we saw him in, in camp action last year when you saw Jared Parker and, and James Franklin and KJ Hamler circled around watching this kid go to work and he was extremely impressive looked every bit the part of a blue chip recruit he is a top 10 wide receiver in 24-7 sports rankings uh, almost six foot five 190 pounds at this point in his career so a lot to like about Thornton and and for a long time was viewed as maybe a guy who would end up back in this class and poor timing on my part wrote a story last week about some of these commits on Penn State's uh, behalf you know really banging the drum that they felt like Dante Thornton was going to end up back in this class at the end of the day that it was going to take work but that there was a confidence level among the class among the staff that they were in a good spot with him and uh, that you know the the carpet kind of gets pulled out from under 
underneath you when this list comes out and not the outlook you wanted uh, with, with that Maryland wide receiver trio that we continue to, to speak about as being in that priority tier at the position. Uh, Jaleel Farouk continues to look like he is going to end up with the Oklahoma Sooners, maybe along with Caleb Williams. Uh, you've got Dante Thornton now, apparently uh, focused elsewhere with his recruitment. And then Caden Prather, you're kind of hanging your hat there that that you're closer to, to winning that uh, recruitment than you are to losing it. Uh, but, you know, not really how we saw this thing playing out, you know, even ahead of summer at this point. It, it's it's kind of uh, unraveled a bit with some with especially with Thornton earlier than you would have anticipated. And all three were just on campus in December. And then all of a sudden you, you get the, the change where Jared Parker goes to West Virginia. Taylor Stubblefield comes in and those guys don't visit during that uh, that open period in January. And all of a sudden you're left uh, left scrambling. So it's uh, it's been interesting to watch uh, that sort of come apart. And it's obviously uh, deflating if you're a Penn State fan. Uh, they put out a new offer this week in the region. Umari Hatcher, a nice little player out of Woodbridge, Virginia. Uh, Penn State uh, has been has been watching him for a while. Decided to make a move this week. I don't know that you know he's uh, vaulted to the top of the board or anything like that. But uh, you know, continuing to to cast that net wide. We've talked about those guys out of the region. This is our uh, weekly Andrew Anthony uh, mention on the podcast. We've got some other guys uh, across the country. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's been really, uh, crazy to see this, uh, sort of come about and, and really, you know, and, I, and I'll say this, and I said it on our board. I mean, these offers were not because they thought they were trending away for Dante Thornton. They thought they were in a, a pretty decent spot, but now that, uh, now that it's happened, you're, you're pretty glad you've got these relationships out there. You've got these, uh, you know, these lines in the water, so, so to speak. Crab pots, I think we, uh, we called them last Crab week. pots. Yeah. There we go. Uh, Omari Hatcher, like the, the, the most recent receiver offer before him in the 2021 class, Aronde Gadsden the second last week, both of those receivers outside of the top 100 in positional rankings that 24 seven sports has put together. So guys, when you click on their profiles, you know, I think Penn state fans are maybe saying, so we're going from Dante Thornton to this. And when you just strictly look at rankings, it's, it's not really uplifting in, in that, in that case, but the names are starting to get scattered, spread about. Uh, there's no ones popping up, and I, I just keep thinking this would be the perfect time to get a cluster of these guys on campus together, run them through wide receiver drills under Taylor Stubblefield, and uh, James Franklin gets to, to focus in on them as well. You get down and you figure out where you're really going to prioritize that list. We saw Penn State be able to do that, kind of establish a pecking order, who they wanted, who they were ready to distance away from at wide receiver during the 2020 cycle as the camps went on. They don't have that right now. So, you know, good luck parsing through these names, parsing through the film with the first year receivers coach. It's there's a lot. You know, it Common theme with wide receiver. There's a lot up for, for in the air right now that we just don't know what to make of. Got to go get it. Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot going on with receiver. It's, uh, you know, really it's got to be that top priority. And I, and I see we can roll into our next uh uh, into our next point of order here. How would you order these in terms of priority on the offensive side of the ball, running back, tight end, receiver? I'd probably go receiver twice and then tight end, then running back. I mean, that's how important I think receiver is to this class. Uh, you know, you took a bunch last year. You got to develop those guys and guys that are, I guess, in different stages of development and then go from there. Um, but still, you want to add as much talent and as athleticism to the room. And if you look across the board at where Penn State stands at each position and you look at what, uh, you know, they have uh, available to them on the roster. I think you got to go with receiver here. Yeah. Looking through this class, you know, the, the tight end and, and running back vacancies stand out. 
wide receiver, you got a couple players who are labeled athletes. And, and I, again, I really think this, this, uh, that Lonnie White could have a, a tremendously high ceiling. Uh, I do like Liam Clifford. Let me ask you this. Pose it this way. What's more likely to happen? Penn State ends up with more than four wide receivers or zero running backs or zero tight ends. Which of those is, is I guess, least likely to happen? Um, probably more than four wide receivers. I mean, that's a lot. I mean, you've got uh, a couple on board right now. Um, you feel good about Prather. Um, and you took five last year. Um, it's going to start looking like defensive tackle, um, does with, uh, with all those numbers there. Um, from there I would go, it's probably, um, you know, I could see them going without a running back in this class. I mean, it's, it's not com- completely a necessity and you set yourself up and to take two in 2022. So you're okay. There could also see them not uh, taking a tight end in this class after taking two last year. But I would say the, the odds of them taking a tight end uh, and not taking a running back are greater than the odds of them taking a running back and not taking a, t- a tight end. Yeah, that makes sense to me too. And I think this is a, if I'm, you are going to make sense to you, cause I just ran it back <laughs> in my head and I'm, I'm not sure what I said. I think I, th- I think I said what I wanted to say. <laughs> well, I, I no, it makes sense uh, from the standpoint at, at tight end. I think because you are bringing in two players that you like quite a bit, they're following up Brenton Strange, uh, Zach Koontz. I think you're still, you know, is he a guy who can handle that those starting reps at the tight end? I guess anyone behind Pat Frymuth, we're not going to really know coming out of the 2020 season, barring some kind of injury, whether there is a guy who's fully equipped to handle that starting role right away. But to me, at running back, you know, you feel pretty good about a number of guys getting the ball and, and, you know, being the guy who gets 20 touches, I think right now and coming off of that forward Kane class and now the Holmes Lee class, maybe it's a good time. And maybe you go hard in 2022 and say, look, we've got a gap here. These guys are at the top are going to be successful. They're going to get their shot at the NFL. That's what we've been producing at Penn state guys who stay fresh, get their chance. Then they're off to the league. You're, you're going to be next up on that list, and you know there's there's a gap there. It could be something that's pretty appealing for, at the national level when you look at 2022 prospects. But uh, you know we've got a while to go. I'm sure other names will pop up. And the, and the uh, last the last time they set out not to take a, t- a running back, they took uh, Journey Brown there at Journey the end. Brown. And now, granted, yeah. they had times on him, and they had they'd seen him in camp and had some so a little bit more information on him because he was right up the road, but. You know, that's kind of how these things have worked. I mean, we weren't talking about Journey Brown in May of 20-whatever. It was coming through, um, but uh, certainly came onto the radar in December and came on in a big way. Yeah, we'll keep tabs there. I think certainly seeing a lot more recent action uh, of offers going out at receiver than we are at running back, where it's been uh, a lot of the, the familiar names, the same names, the same grouping for a while, and you're just kind of gauging where Penn State stands with a lot of those players. Um, speaking of tight end, we got to catch up with Penn State starter and a hopeful All-American. He has a lot of ambitions for his junior season at Penn State. When we come back from commercial, we'll get to you with uh, takeaways from Pat Fryermuth's call from a conversation with starting safety Lamont Wade. We'll get to our five-star mailbag, uh, some stuff from Sean's recent trimmings piece. Uh, That's all coming your way on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 
This week presented another opportunity to catch up with Penn State players who, like a lot of us, are just waiting for the next move in this pandemic process as we look to uh, come on out and and play. And that's what these football players want to do badly. And and they're watching that clock more than ever right now. You can sense it with a couple guys who we think it's going to be there last year at Penn State. It's a certainty with Lamont Wade. He's a, a senior player. And then Pat Fryermuth. Uh, you know, full expectations that if he has uh, the kind of season that we anticipate, he may be the first tight end off the board if he elects to leave early after his junior year, go off to the NFL. And we'll start with Pat because the type of of mindset that he has carried has pre- stayed pretty consistent since I caught up with him. You know, I think during his junior year of high school, um, it was his fourth year of high school after reclassification, but always a guy who's come off as very mature, uh, goal oriented, and also team driven. And, and that's kind of all the same stuff we heard here. He was selected as a team captain as a sophomore. 15 touchdowns during his first couple college seasons. When Penn State does reconvene on campus, he's going to be a linchpin in a lot of ways for this locker room. He's trying to do it. Um, But he said one thing he is doing his best to avoid is the hype. It's a word he used a couple times. He's seen some of these 2021 NFL mock drafts that have him going, you know, in the top 20. Uh, there's a lot of money that comes with that. There's a lot of opportunity that comes with that. Um, and I think he understands. He, he'll, he'll be the first to tell you, as he did in this call, his expectation is to be the best tight end in America. But he said he has disengaged from social media this month. We've heard it from players before and only to see them tweet just days later, days later or hours later after that comment. But Pat said he's kind of checked out. He, he's uh, avoiding the hype train the best he can. And one thing he is doing here is stunning NFL guys a lot. He said he has taken advantage of the time away from ordinary um, responsibilities on campus to, to watch film of players like George Kittle, Travis Kelsey, uh, yes, Rob Gronkowski, and you hear that baby Gronk, uh, you know, reference quite a bit because of his uh, growing up in Mar- uh, in Massachusetts as a Rob Gronkowski fan, as a Patriots fan. They wear the same number. They're both tough physical matchups, and uh, you know, Fryermuth says footwork is key for him. And these are guys who I fully expect a year from now are going to be his professional peers. I I think right now, and in addition to staying in shape, really any way that you can make it work. Um, while you're home away from the, the program, self-scouting is is the biggest part of this. I mean, you get you get a chance to take a look at yourself from last year and they've, they've got their iPads, they've got the you know all that all that film and things like that. Um, but a- any chance that you can get to sort of break down the individual stuff and they do that and it, you know during the season and when they're here and everything, but this gives you a, a chance to have more of a personal reflection on yourself and you know, Pat Fryermuth, as good as he is, I'm sure there's things he can clean up. I'm sure there's things that, uh, you know, he can do. And and he knows, and he talked about it this week, you know, co- coming with that hype, being aware of all the the accolades and the, the, the mock drafts, that's going to bring attention with it from from opposing defensive coordinators. And not that, you know, you, you weren't paying attention to Pat Fryermuth before, but, you know, KJ Hamler was there to take a little bit of the pressure off. So, He's got an opportunity to uh, see what he needs to do to, to to handle that hype. I know he's trying to downplay the hype, but he's got to handle it. He's got to handle the added attention that comes with it on the field and off the field. And I think this will give him a good chance to sort of set himself up on the path that he needs to be uh, when he gets back to campus. Um, little doubt that he's going to have a productive year. Um, he, you know, he's just that kind of football player that just keeps putting up numbers and keeps putting up touchdowns. And, you know, I think it's a, it's about doing those little things and, and those little things will eventually take care of the big things. And I think move him up the draft board and, and address some of the questions that, that people are going to have about him going into the draft next year. 
highly productive for, since his first month of college football. You look at him and Micah Parsons to this point, certainly the headliners in terms of production from that 2018 Penn State class, which showed up on campus with a lot of high expectations to meet. Uh, those two uh, achieved freshman All-America status and uh, both projected as first-round picks. And uh, one thing that we've heard about with Pat Fryermuth consistently since he got to campus is that he holds himself and those around him to a high standard and it rubs off on those guys. And and I think that's very much the case right now. And it needs to be the case because, look, he came in with Zach Koontz, both, both those guys enrolled early. Uh, he certainly didn't suggest that he needed to provide a lot of guidance for Koontz. They, they, they check in on each other. Uh, they make sure that they're on the same page with the playbook, but it's really Brenton Strange, Theo Johnson, and now Tyler Warren that stand to be the biggest beneficiaries of, of getting inside the mind of Pat Fryermuth a bit. Uh, he mentioned during this call that he is carving out a weekly spot with Brenton Strange uh, where they spend time going over basically everything they learned that week, and he helps Brenton digest it a little bit more. He's a sounding board for questions that, that may be easier to have that conversation with, with a peer than it might be with a coach. Uh, and and the time the, you know the, the timing can be a bit more flexible with stuff like that as well. Um, so that was big to hear. And he also says, you know, Theo Johnson in a couple months, you know, he has a lot of faith, those two working together, that Theo's career is going to be bright. I think we've mentioned on the podcast before, both Theo and Pat said that their relationship was pretty personal as that recruitment went on. It didn't start that way. Um, but by the end of it, uh, Pat Fryermuth was really selling him on, on on coming in, learning for a year or two under him, and and then you know trying to take the torch and, and become the next great Penn State tight end. One guy he really got into quite a bit, and I think Mark Brennan was the one who asked his thoughts, um, is Tyler Warren. He sounds very excited about what Tyler Warren could be at the tight end position. Uh, there's a long road to go, I think, with Warren in, in, in terms of getting acclimated there. We've talked in the past about being committed to Virginia Tech as a quarterback, uh, but Fryermuth is about all you can ask for from a positional leader. Um, you know, we, we hear from from some of the other guys, uh, whether it's Lamont Wade with that safety group or, uh, you know, uh, Tariq Castro fields a cornerback, Shaka Tony at, at defensive end, Michael Menet with the offensive lineman. This is a young guy still in Pat Fryermuth, been on campus now year three. Um, and, and he has really just uh, become not just a leader in that position room, but uh, there's a reason he's going to be a two time team captain as a junior. He's, he's taken a personal interest in it, and especially Theo. I mean, if you remember by the end of Theo's recruitment, he was in the Instagram Live clowning Michigan fans uh, who made comments to him. So it was pretty pretty fun to see that. By the way, some uh, some workout videos from Theo from being home. Uh, looks like he's improving his speeds, working out with his brother, who obviously was a, you know, a quarterback at Buffalo, played some receiver, pretty athletic kid at Buffalo. So um, you know, I'd like to see him getting better, see how that shoulder holds up when he gets back to campus. But uh, you know, some exciting prospects there at the at at tight end and you know it's just uh it's one of those reasons we go back to uh to you miss on a tight end and you know it sucks but at the end of the day you're in a pretty good spot right there and i'm i'm, I'm right there with pat frymuth i am incredibly intrigued to see what tyler warren turns into just from speaking to the people that have been around him and that he's actually talked to and actually i swapped a few messages with him uh to prove he does exist uh last week uh you know but uh it's uh it, it, it's a really interesting recruitment it's a really interesting guy that you know really you think is kind of just uh you know just kind of scratching the surface of where he's going to be as a tight end uh embrace that role you know a lot of times and you know we'll talk about this later with with quarterbacks when you're 
you're a quarterback, you're a quarterback. You don't want to hear anything other than that. I think that the, um, you know, the, the realism of, of him not being a power five quarterback, even though he was committed to Virginia Tech for, for a spell, the, the reality of him not being a power five quarterback caught up. Um, he took that in stride. He got a bunch of offers and a bunch of interest. And, you know, Penn State was, uh, was lucky enough to get him in camp and, and kind of knew what they had to work with. I think he's a bigger guy than people will expect him to be um, when he gets there. I think he's uh, really one of the steals of the class, and I'm excited to see how it goes. And it's and it's really interesting because you've got him and you've got Theo Johnson, and of course, you know you can play two tight ends, but you, for the most part, you're going to have one tight end on the field. I can see both these guys being really good, and that's um, you know it's it's I've, I've thought a lot about that and don't really throw that around very often, but I think both of them have a lot of the tools that you need uh, that, that that you can have to be successful, and, and they're excited about that group and again in between Frymouth and this pair you've got Zach Koontz and Brenton Strange another uh, former four-star duo who came in uh, a year apart um, another player who we got a chance to speak with as I mentioned Lamont Wade tell you what he has trimmed down uh, we, we, we noticed that on the on the roster reveal that came out uh, this spring he was down I think about a dozen pounds or so that's a significant amount for a player at safety position and he told us this week that he has switched up uh, to a pescatarian diet uh, a leaner approach high on veggies high on seafood uh, you're cutting out a, a lot of you're cutting out your typical meats you're focusing in on fish uh, shellfish and uh, with Lamont Wade uh, you know he sounds uh, yeah and you would expect this but last year if last year was kind of a turning point for him where during the winter of, of 2018 going into 19 he went to the transfer portal um, you know he was adjusting to that position change kind of seemed to be at a crossroads recalibrated stuck with Penn State and and you know I thought progressively got better and better as the season wore on probably played his best game of the year in the team's biggest game of the year at Ohio State best game of his career really and now here he is Sean <clears throat> 3 years removed from coming to campus as you know the the you know the the heralded player of the 2017 class and, and the top ranked guy to enroll early and and all the 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 fanfare that comes with that being an in-state guy doing and all of it you know, there's a chance here for a really special senior season for him, and, and they need it for out of him at safety. They're going to be starting someone alongside him. He sounds intent on maximizing his opportunities. A guy who has uh, been pretty vocal on social media about wanting to get back to campus as soon as possible. He said he, you know, he'd love to be playing football tomorrow. Uh, but but you talk about accountability. He has taken it at a time where guys are struggling to to control what they're eating and what they're putting into their bodies. He is monitoring it at a different different level than he has in the past, and he feels like it's going to show up. I think he said his body weight or his body fat percentage went from about eleven percent to under six percent, and and again, that's a lot when we're talking about a safety. Yeah, I think he's got both of us beat there, um, yeah. but uh, it's uh, he's always been a stocky kid, so it's not a surprise. I mean, he he did have that corner build, you know, put on some weight, look like a safety. Uh, maybe I don't know. I, it's not my place to say that he got too big, but um, you know, you, you you look at uh, you know what he's done on the field. There's been ups and downs. I just think football very important to him um, from a from a uh, parallel standpoint with life, with with what he has had. He's got the the, the young child as well, so. Football is so important to him, and, and he's he's a, a vital piece to this defense this year. Um, Penn State thin at safety. Obviously, you're going to start him beside Brisker, and you need both of those guys to be good if you if this defense is going to be what they think it can be. So 
Um, really um, curious to track where, you know, where he's been and where he's going, um, you know, saying all the right things, doing all the right things right now. And, and, and really, you, you're right. I think he got better last year. He's going to have to continue, you know, he's going to have to take, take it up to another level. I mean, he had those, those forced fumbles against Ohio State. He's going to have to be consistently one of, one of those playmakers back in the back four. And he's going to have to direct those guys where to go in front of him. It's just a, a, a much more important player than we, you know, we probably gloss over him because we talk about Brisker and the potential that Jaquan Brisker has playing beside him. But the, the importance for Lamont Wade for this defense is, is really going to be huge for this, uh, for this entire team this year. He is one of those players who was stayed put in state college, living in an apartment. He actually said, uh, before he came on the call shortly before, uh, the way he was getting his cardio in was, was running up and down the staircase in his building about 20 times. And, uh, he's got a ladder that he throws down in the yard to work on some footwork drills, but everybody challenged right now to, to come up with some answers and, and uh, get themselves prepared for, uh, the reunion on the football field that we hope takes place this summer. Lamont Wade seems to be certainly buying into that, and, and he is one of those uh, they like to call culture drivers uh, for Penn State. And and as you mentioned, he did say a silver lining of all this. Most time he spent with his son, um, and and you know that that's it's sometimes we forget that 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 is a reality for for not just Lamont Wade but other players on the Penn State roster over the years, where you know they're not just concerned as students and athletes, they're concerned as fathers. And that's Lamont Wade's situation right now as well. Um, safety position in 2020 going to be interesting to follow. We've mentioned Jaquan Brisker as as the name that we would anticipate to fill the starting role as a senior coming out of the JUCO lane last year. But uh, guys like Jonathan Sutherland, Tyler Rudolph, uh, Trent Gordon now involved at safety. And uh, so, again, we'll see what happens when competition actually takes place. So a couple of things there. Uh, Lamont Wade, uh, Pat Fryermuth got a lot of content up on the site right now on Lions 24 7.com uh, mark wrote something up on, on lamont wade's offseason uh, progression i have something up on on pat fryermuth uh, trying to steer clear of the hype and focus in on self-improvement and we'll have more coming up both of those entire press conferences are available to watch online 247.com as well uh, something else notable here uh, that, that popped up later in the week via the new york post a report uh, from an interview with James Franklin. I believe it was on the Giants, New York Giants official podcast, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Franklin says that Saquon Barkley had, had contacted him and they had discussed the possibility of, of him not joining the staff, but kind of shadowing the staff uh, for a portion of time during spring camp, learning the game from another perspective, learning the life of a coach a bit more. Uh, did not happen because there was no spring practices, but you know, your ears perk up. Uh, I don't know what you know they would gain from a staff perspective, but it would be great to have Saquon Barkley. As anytime you can cross brand those brands with Barkley and Penn State, do that as long as you can if you're the Nittany Lions, and certainly a way to turn some recruits' heads. Yeah, I was going to say, if the knife wasn't deep enough in terms of not being able to uh, host visitors <laughs> this spring, um, having Saquon out there, not only as a coach and a, you know as another voice that you could look to, also as a recruiting prop would have been pretty nice. So uh, that's uh, that's unfortunate. No, I think it's pretty cool. I mean, Saquon has always been, uh, you know, very gracious with his time and with, with youth camps and things like that. And, uh, you know, obviously there's, uh, you know, there's, there's a plan to that to, to, to maybe get into coaching in the long term, maybe be just a, you know, a bigger part of, uh, you know, he's got this, this public, 
Uh, he carries himself so, so well in, in the public specter that, you know, you could see him coaching, you could see him broadcasting, you see him in the studio, you know, he just does a lot of things so well. So I think the more he can get uh, well-rounded, um, obviously that's going to benefit him. He's going to make millions and millions of dollars playing football, but he's going to set himself up for, for the long term. And that's, you know, you, you got to keep that relationship if you're Penn State as, as well as you want it. If he wants to come back, he wants to call a few plays next year. Great. Give him, give him a whistle, give him a headset, whatever that works. Um, but no, it's a, it's really cool to see and and for him to still be connected with you know sometimes we see players that that get away from the college program and don't really come back around uh to see him connected there i mean that's uh that's a great thing saquon's gonna have a lot of paths to choose for his professional life and what he wants to do beyond football and as long as one of those paths continue to lead the happy valley that's 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 great for james franklin that's great for uh the program that's good for recruiting a guy you want consistently involved uh, in a positive manner for your program a um, couple of things that, that stood out to me from your trimmings this week, Sean, uh, which, uh, as always, go up Monday through Friday, well, as always, as of about the last eight days or so. Uh, but, Sean, you mentioned European recruiting. You talked about Penn State putting in work with a premier Pennsylvania prospect in the 2022 class. Not trying to give away everything here, but, uh, you know, it's two that popped up to me this week. I haven't seen what you got cooking for Friday yet. Yeah, neither have I. Um, but uh, no, it's uh, the longstanding tradition of trimmings has has come and, and gone pretty well. Uh, European recruiting, Penn State on the forefront of that one. Uh, you know, they got Joseph Darkwell. We also had an, an update on his progress so far. Um, offered a couple of 2023 kids in Europe, which is crazy when you think about it, considering, you know, Darkwood didn't even come onto the radar until just before signing day. Um, you know, during his uh, during his recruitment. So, you know, they're developing uh, younger prospects there. They're getting them out there. Some of them are going to come over and play in the U.S. I think there's a, a kid at IMG just committed to, I think, Boston College, uh, who's a big offensive lineman from from Finland um, or I, I think he's from Finland. He's from a co- one of the countries uh, in Europe, but uh, it's been <laughs> so fascinating. many to choose from. I, I, I'm just, <laughs> yeah, it's, there's, there's a lot. And uh, no, no. So they're, they're developing younger. Some of them are going to come over. Some of them are going to stay. Penn state offered a couple of defensive linemen in the 2023 class. And they're not on the hook for these offers. I mean, they've got a great relationship with PPI recruits and Brandon Collier. Um, so, you know, they, they've offered guys that, you know, wouldn't have been able to, to commit to Penn State. So you've got that aspect of it. But still, they're keeping up that relationship. They're trying to get in early. Um, a couple of the guys that they've offered, uh, you know, have some explosive tendencies to them as defensive linemen. Of course, they they offered Maurice Himes out in uh, California, who's sort of in that mold uh, when he was a younger prospect. And he was there. Penn State was their, his first offer. So, you know, it's it's been uh, an interesting uh I guess the topic to follow over the years and Penn state's been right at the front of that. And we'll see, we'll continue to see more European prospects being funneling through the system. And then an white huge target for Penn state, number one player in Pennsylvania in 2022, uh, number eight prospect overall per 24 seven sports sat down with the Penn state staff earlier this week. I think Dion Barnes, a big part of that recruitment, John Scott is a guy that he's met before um, while he was at South Carolina. So, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a long run, a long one because, you know, let's be honest, those kids in Philly, very infatuated with the SEC, but Penn State has has gotten in front of White before they've hosted him on a couple of visits. So, you know, just trying to get out in front of that recruitment all they can before it really takes uh, takes it to the next gear. Good stuff from Sean on those trimmings. Uh, Monday through Friday, again, up on lines247.com. Check out that for VIP subscribers. And by the way, right now, 
only until Friday at midnight. I feel like I've done this a couple times in May, but uh, it, it cuts off Friday at midnight. So sorry to those of you picking this one up on Saturday or, or Sunday. Uh, 75% off a VIP subscription. A pretty darn good deal right now. It started on Thursday morning, again, going till Friday at midnight. So if you're hearing this on a Friday, take advantage now. Stop what you're doing and jump on board. 75% off VIP subscription. Uh, we'll get to our five-star mailbag right now. Again, those questions come from Apple Podcasts. Drop your five-star rating and review. Throw in your question or two there on Apple Podcasts, and we'll bring it here on the show. Uh, we missed you on the early episode this week, so we're going to bring in three different questions, uh, some good stuff, and we'll start with one from The Valley. He says, a lot of talk in the quarterback room. If Michael Johnson Jr. and Taquan Roberson get passed up by Christian Veyu, do you see some offensive creativity with them at all or possible transfers? Sean, I'll let you take the forefront here. Well, I think, uh, as we mentioned earlier, quarterbacks are quarterbacks, so they're going to have that mentality. I mean, these guys want to play quarterback. Of the two, I would say Michael Johnson has always been pegged as an athlete. I think that's the line during his uh, during his recruitment. It was four-star athlete, three-star quarterback. Um, so I could see him being a potential wide receiver. I don't see Taquan Roberson in that role. Roberson is a quarterback, and I know um, you know, he's, uh, you know, I think he's not as athletic as people think he is. And that's not a knock on him, but people think he might be a four, four guy or four, five guy. He's just, he's just not. So I would say Johnson would be the more, um, you know, the more apt for a position switch, a guy that maybe has heard that from other staffs in the past. Penn State recruited him as a quarterback. Penn State wants him to play quarterback. They want both these guys to play quarterback. But, you know, there's one football, there's, uh, you know, one starter, and that's how you you want to go into a season. So I think absolutely it's a possibility, but I'll say more so with Johnson than it would be for Roberson. And I, and I, and I do think Roberson's ahead of Johnson right now. Complete agreement there, and and Veyu were to come in and, and and pass those guys, then you'd be kind of keeping an eye on Will Levis as well, and we'll be curious to see how they use Will Levis. You know, the name that stands out, we've referenced it a couple times, I think, since Kirk Shiraka came over, is how the Golden Gophers utilized Seth Green, uh, wide receiver, and he ended up playing some Wildcat quarterback. He was kind of a positionless player for a while in Minnesota and, and found a real nice niche in that Wildcat role. He scored five touchdowns rushing last year, six foot four, two forty. That you know, that that sounds kind of like Will Levis to me. I think Will's a bit shorter than that, but he's in that two hundred and forty pound plus range. Roberson and Johnson are not. And I certainly think that if you're looking at a player out of those two who can shift over and have that high ceiling elsewhere, it's unquestionably Michael Johnson Jr. Uh, throw on their respective films from high school. And I, and I think you'll see why Roberson, to your point, certainly could move in the pocket. I think he maybe had five, 600 total rushing yards his last couple of years, won a state championship in New Jersey. Roberson went for 1,200 rushing yards as a senior on a team that went to the state championship game. Really, uh, that, that program was reliant a, a lot on him, on his legs, more so than his, his, his passing ability at a lot of sta- a lot of instances. But it is mentally. It, it is, if a kid says, I'm a quarterback, it can be hard to convince him otherwise, and he may look for another option. But there's going to be some decisions to be made. We talked about this when Christian Veyu came on board. Uh, right now, you're looking at, uh, with Micah Bowens involved, who we didn't even mention until right now, a recent guest of this podcast, you're looking at six quarterbacks uh, being uh, carrying eligibility through at least the 2021 season. So certainly, there are going to be some decisions to be made for that group. Uh, next question, Dwight Galt fan 6 He says, I feel really good about our edge rushers this year. However, I am a little nervous about the beef up the middle at defensive tackle. 
Are there any unknown names that you expect to step up in this spot this year? I'll hang up now and listen. I think Dwight Gulp fan is a steady, steady uh, listener. So I'm not going to throw out the unknown name uh, label for Akeem Beeman, but we have been hammering that name. Yeah, Hakeem Beeman. <laughs> I mean, unknown name might be a little bit far-fetched at this point, considering how much we've talked about Hakeem Beeman. Um, they think he could have played last year. Um, I think he's going to play this year. I think they're going to have probably five guys that step up. And in addition to, to Beeman, I'm going to throw Judge Culpepper out there as yep. well. He sort of came on at the end of the year and gave them some quality reps. I mean, you, you know the starters are going to be Shelton and Mustafer. Hansard's going to have his say in terms of, of getting reps. But I think that fourth guy right now, and as high as we are on Beeman, I think he's got a little bit more to climb and you know a little bit more to get accustomed to. And obviously hurting, you know, not having the spring hurt him. Um, but you've got uh, you've got Judge Culpepper in there, who's who's made some strides, had a really good offseason from from people that I've talked to. So I'm I'm interested to see him take the next step and be where they think he can be. And if you can get that sorted out, I think they'll be okay. I think they, they you know they've got some um, some reps to gain and and didn't have the spring, but uh, you you've got an opportunity there where you you pretty pretty much know what you're getting with the starters. Um, can Mustafer take that next step and be an All Big Ten guy? I think there's there's certainly that potential there. Hansard can eat up guys, uh, but but Culpepper is going to be a guy that I think sees the field quite a bit, and and if he does, I think you know he'll he'll eventually work himself into into a player, and then you've got Beeman coming right behind him. Uh, beyond that, uh, there's certainly question marks. I mean, we 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 thought Damian Barber was ready to, to break out. Obviously, that was not the case. So is is a now or never situation for Damian Barber, and then you've got a bunch of bodies behind him that that you know may not have a chance to break through, and um, at, at least this season. So a lot of bodies at that defensive tackle position. I feel pretty good about the five they're going to roll out as the first five there. Yeah, it's, it's, it gets really tricky when you start to go beyond that. You know, guys like Devon Ellis, who, you know, last year we just didn't really see much of, and 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 Joseph Darkwa, who we still think is a bit ways off. I, I'm 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 on that Judge Culpepper train with you. I, and, and based on John Scott's rave reviews that we got uh, in, uh, just a few weeks ago, I mean, it certainly sounds... Uh, like Culpepper's on the right track. And maybe he's, he doesn't qualify for the unknown name, but I do think that considering the amount of offers he got in high school and the fact that he was a Florida kid who made the jump and his father is uh, you know uh, one of the uh, all-time great uh, Florida defensive linemen of the past few decades, you know I, I think there's a lot to, to say that this kid is kind of under the radar on the Penn State roster and maybe was under the radar in that 2018 recruiting class, sharing that defensive line class with Jason Oway, uh, P.J. Mustafaru have quickly become uh, more household names here among Penn State fans. And of all the guys that are well set up to go home and train and stay in shape. Yeah. I think Judge Culpepper's in a pretty good spot. You know, obviously his dad's a, a big time lawyer down there. They've got, uh, I think, uh, I think I read that Tom Brady moved in next door. So um, you've got, uh, you've got a lot going for you for Judge Culpepper. So if he can, you know, put in the work and, and sort of continue to move up during this process, I think he'll, he'll be okay and he'll be, uh, you know, a regular part of that rotation. There was a follow-up question here from Dwight Galt Fan 6. He says, uh, after last week's best bar in State College question, has there been any talk about Chili's coming back to State College? I think Chili's predated my arrival in this uh, community, so I'll let you handle this one, Sean. I, I don't think so. I, that that would be the first that I've heard of it. Obviously, Champs took over and just uh, completely changed the space and 
change the landscape of, uh, of of Penn State bars, but uh, no, it's uh, I, I don't see Chili's making a triumphant comeback. I actually just tried to do some googling here on my phone. Is Chili's still opening new places? I mean, that's uh, that seems like one of those chains that's kind of uh, you know sort of gone away. This one, this one. Uh, is uh, I closed in 2015, and obviously it's been since passed over. But uh, is Chili's still opening? Chili's is that is that happening? I just got the the Austin Powers "Fat Bastard" song stuck in my head uh, about baby back ribs now, so I I can't even think. All right, yeah, uh, Chili's great question, really good answer, and I hope everything is 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 wrapped up from that one. Um, going back to football and recruiting. Uh, Jersey recruiting, something certainly in my wheelhouse. First time, long time. Do you see? Oh, this is from Robleski, USA. Uh, first time, long time. Do you see PSU starting to improve recruiting in New Jersey in the 2021 and 2022 cycles with the new coaching hires? Uh, specifically asking me, uh, interested if I have a take on Central Jersey recruiting too. You have a take on Central Jersey in itself? I or? do. I do. I, there was a long time where I did not believe that Central Jersey was, was even a, a thing. I had to drive two hours due north to get to Rutgers, which then it turned out to a lot of people, Rutgers was Central Jersey. And to me, that was like, I must be way up in New Jersey. I just drove two hours north from home. Uh, no, it turns out there's a quite a bit of New Jersey beyond that and to the west as well, uh, which I drove through this week getting back to town. Uh, but yeah, Central Jersey, uh, my thoughts on recruiting. Um, you know, I, the, the, saw a couple of the best recruit I've seen out of there in person, I would probably say, if you want to qualify Central Jersey as a place. And, and I'm fine with doing that. I have plenty of friends who will argue on the behalf of the existence of Central Jersey. I am very, very, very proud to be a South Jersey guy. Um, but Justin Shorter, going, going back to a name we've referenced lately, he's the best Central Jersey player that, that I can recall seeing in person at the high school level. But I do think right now that is definitely a territory where Greg Schiano is prioritizing the heck out of. Uh, so guys like Justin Shorter don't leave. Uh, and Rutgers is going to have to play games eventually and win games. Uh, but I can tell you, just just hearing from people I know uh, who who remember Greg's first run at, at Rutgers, and they're they're certainly seeing a lot going on the recruiting trail right now in New Jersey for Rutgers. That is kind of the the epicenter for it. That's that's Central Jersey. Now what they're going to need to do is hit on the North Jersey parochials and and the really the blossoming South Jersey public football scene. I think South Jersey public football, in a lot of people's viewpoints, surprisingly, is surpassing what they've got going on in North Jersey right now. Uh, but at the end of the day. Uh, this is such a hotly contested state, Sean. You you remember Michigan going on a hell of a run there a few years ago. A lot of those players didn't pan out. Rashawn Gary was the Pied Piper of that group, but Michigan goes on a major run in Jersey. We've seen Penn State get their fair share of solid players out there, but you've always got Notre Dame hitting it. Uh, you've got Clemson, Alabama. It it is it is a tough place to slip off of and then try to climb back up. And right now. Uh, based on what you've been reporting the last couple of years, it's safe to say that Penn State certainly did slip. Penn State honestly took a dive in Jersey. Just obviously the, you know, I think the talent level um, has been hit and miss. I mean, you haven't offered as many guys as you usually would um, in New Jersey, but really the, the, the relationships, I mean, you put 
Corley Galliano, some of those other guys in there that, uh, you know, it really didn't go anywhere. Um, you know, you thought you could maybe get a little bit more traction in South Jersey, which is kind of an extension of, uh, of Philadelphia there. It just hasn't worked. Penn State has, has noticed this. They've tried to address it, especially with the new staff. Now have three guys in New Jersey, which is uh, interesting to me. It's usually been North Jersey would have a guy. South Jersey would have a guy. And that South Jersey guy would also be lumped in with Philly and Delaware. And that's still the case. T- Terry Smith has moved into Philly. He's moved into South Jersey and Delaware as well. But you've also moved... Uh, Taylor Stubblefield into that central Jersey area. And now Phil Troutwine, who's from South Jersey, is going to be on North Jersey. Um, And that's an interesting one because he was at Boston College. Boston College for years has done really well with the parochial schools in North Jersey, which are honestly the, you know, the biggest talent producers up there. So they're going to split that up. They're going to go with Troutwine up north. Stubblefield in Central and down South go with Terry Smith and and I think really try and reemphasize that area because I think that's a place where they've lost a lot of ground in addition to Philadelphia. Those are two spots that I'm really looking at in the 2022 class where they have to establish themselves. They have to really get going and, and get some momentum and get some some more guys going because you look at uh, the the number of Jersey guys on the roster and it's you know it's sort of declined over the last. Uh, uh, several years. So it's it's been a spot where they've struggled. It's been a spot where they really need to be better. In 2018, they signed the top two players out of New Jersey and Jason Oway and Justin Shoulder. If it wasn't top two, it was two out of the top three or four. And then 2019, they get the top offensive lineman in Caden Wallace, the, the top quarterback out of the state in Taquan Roberson. Um, and, and to this point, since then, it's it's been, you know, we've seen them grab some of these uh, high ceiling defensive linemen out of St. Joe's in, in New Jersey and bring them on board. But just the the just the, doesn't have the same feel, doesn't have you know? the same it's, no you don't you 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 can pick and choose guys from New Jersey and you've done so with Wallace and Oway and and these guys but it just doesn't have the same feel that Penn State is the presence that it, you know it, it could be or maybe once was in New Jersey and I, I don't really I you know I again I grew up in Cape May County New Jersey. It's a five-hour drive from campus, but I can tell you that Saturdays, Penn State was, you know, the quote-unquote local team. I wouldn't say there's any major college football affiliation in the area in South Jersey. Um, no one's, you know, gearing up for Temple games because Philadelphia is nearby, but Penn State was on the TV. I remember watching Larry Johnson run the damn ball over and over again uh, on Saturdays and some of the earlier years where I was really fixated on on, on football as, as you know, t- a 10, 11, 12 year old. And, you know, I don't know if it's changed because they're just the, the door is open to a lot more non-regional football to be available um, or what, but I, I don't sense that aside from all the, the people who leave Pennsylvania and go to the shore towns, like where I grew up and, and maybe put out the Penn state flag or, you uh, know, and, and represent that way. I, I, I don't know. I don't know where it's trending, why it's trending. You know, Phil Troutwine said when, when he was coming out of high school, Penn State was kind of the it team in that region. And while Phil is two or three years older than me, I completely agree with him. When I was growing up there, late 90s, early 2000s, Penn State was, was definitely the most recognizable college football brand in southern New Jersey. I can't speak for the northern part of the state, uh, but but I can I would certainly agree with 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 that assessment that Phil gave us. 
Yeah, and, and it's never been the overwhelming, like, dominant leader in, in New Jersey because you've always had, you know, you, you don't have much of an in-state presence there with Rutgers, no offense, but you've got Notre Dame, which is huge up north. Uh, you know, Boston College has always been good, and now you've had guys starting to, to go south and have some success going south. Camden's really exploded onto the scene as a as a producer in the last couple of years. Last year, you had Fidel Diggs and uh, the, the the defensive tackle from down there. San Augusto uh, Texas- Prep is another school that, that's jumped out yeah yeah and they went to uh you know they he went to texas a&m with elijah robinson they just five offers in in the 2021 class right now and and you could argue three of them they really did not pursue so it's been really interesting to see penn state's uh, approach in new jersey there's six offers in uh the 2022 class and then they just went on a spree a couple of weeks ago in the 2023 similar to what they did with philadelphia so you're seeing them try to make that same effort to to sort of okay not maybe not punt on the 2021 class, but get back into the 2022, 2023s, and, and get going from that uh, from that aspect. Four offers in uh, in the 2023 class uh, in in New Jersey's six in the 2022 class, which obviously outnumbers uh, the 2021 class. Two of those 2023 offers I recently spoke with, and they're out of Southern New Jersey, Penn Salkin High School uh, wide receiver Ajani Shakir, and also cornerback uh, Khalil Ali, both offered as freshmen. Terry Smith involved in those recruitments. I had a story up recently on Shakir, another one coming up on Khalil Ali, but um, you know, early names to know there, and, and Penn State certainly, as we've seen, whether it's Pennsylvania, New Jersey, uh, nationally, those 2023 offers. Uh, been a little bit more loose to, to, to give those out of late. So I think we'll continue to see those offer numbers jump uh, in New Jersey for 2023 as well. Long term. And, and you look at, yeah, and you look at the 2022 class. They've had Steven and Jelly on uh, the quarterback on campus. KJ Miles has been on campus. Jaden Gould, Keon Saab, uh, really highly regarded kid in South Jersey. They've, they've had a bunch of these guys on campus already. Probably would have gotten more of them on in, on campus this summer, but uh, circumstances being what they are, that's where we're at. That's going to wrap up the five-star mailbag. Thanks for your questions. Again, get involved in the conversation. Drive the topics of this show. Give us some new ideas up on Apple Podcasts. Drop your five-star rating and review along with a question or two. We'll do our best to get to it. We have plenty to choose from next week. Sean, anything you want to leave our listeners with? Again, uh, we thank everybody for uh, understanding one episode this week. Enjoyed a little holiday time this week. I was personally traveling a little bit, uh, visiting the in-laws for the first time in a long time. Uh, So thanks for bearing with us, folks. Yeah, I got to see my parents for the first time since March, so I was pretty happy about that uh, this weekend. Uh, But no, I hope everyone had a great holiday weekend. We'll be back at you with two episodes next week. And by looking at the grass, it's a two-mo type of uh, week. Um, So hopefully we can get out there, get in your ears, and and hopefully you continue listening. Check us out. Remember, Apple Podcasts, uh, leave us a five-star review, leave us a question. Uh, Love uh, seeing the feedback, love seeing the questions, and, and thanks for listening as always. All right, folks. Well, that's going to do it. Take care. On behalf of Sean, I'm Tyler Donahue. You've been listening to Lions 24-7 Podcast. Check out all of our great content and take advantage of that 75% off subscription deal at lions247.com.